How's your tea? Uh, today we have a peppermint tea, and I haven't tasted it yet, but here we go. Okay, ASMR. Do you know what this is? That sounds nice. Is it an ice cube in the glass? Ice coffee season. <laughs> as soon as it is more than, I don't know. Uh, more than five degrees? Five degrees outside, <laughs> I'm starting the ice coffee season. <laughs> nice. I just talked about it yesterday with Sana, how I always get nauseous from ice coffee. I can't drink it. Really? Yeah, uh, it's not my it's not my jam. You haven't tried this one. I I I am one of those nerds when it's hot weather. I'm one of those nerds who says, actually, it's way better to drink warm tea. I actually tried it last summer because last summer was so insanely hot, and I uh, I was whining to everyone that my cold showers didn't work. <laughs> It's like, what am I doing wrong? And then everybody said, like, don't do that. Don't do cold showers. It's the wrong thing to do. Uh -huh. Do warm showers. Because you're just shocking your system even more. So it gets even more hot. It's nice mm -hmm. for those two minutes in shower. But I guess it's like, I don't know. Everything in audio. This is obviously a podcast about a professional audio, by the way. Welcome, listeners. There, but the, the, this makes sense. There is a time and a place for cold showers and for warm showers, for cold gear and for warm gear. Okay, okay. We're getting hot now. First of all, what I was going to say is welcome, listeners, to Oral Adventures with Mikael and Bauke. Uh, let's introduce ourselves again. We make lo-fi music, hi-fi, lo-fi beats. We care about sound quality. We care about stuff. But we make lo-fi beats. We make luxury lo-fi. Ooh, luxury. Did, did we say that last episode as well? I think so. It, it, but I'm, I like that it works still. It sticks. <laughs> it sticks. It really does. So yeah, luxury lo-fi. That's us. And today's hi-fi topic or preparation. I think we have quite a lot to talk about. It's, gonna, it's been a little while. But every once in a while, I go a bit crazy down a rabbit hole of like, need to buy stuff. Well, I want stuff. I want to see what the next step is. And I am a happy owner of an Apollo Twin X, and it's serving me very well. Especially the design is nice. It looks nice. Makes you feel good about yourself. That is important. But I started thinking about, first of all, monitoring quality. Because there are rumors and an experience I have is that even though the D to A, the digital to analog sound of the Apollo is miles ahead of what the MacBook produces, and also the headphone amp is better, so my headphones sound a lot better already with the interface. I was starting to notice some things in the sound that my cork sniffer, the cork sniffer and myself was starting to notice when I listened to very high quality recordings, so obviously not my own, uh, some, some brittleness, sometimes some... Harshness is the wrong word, but I think brittleness and a certain incoherence to the whole thing. And I felt like it maybe had to do with converters. So I started looking into stuff and I'm also obsessed with mastering and mastering converters and everything. So I stumbled upon this blog post by John Greenham, who we've discussed before as well, who is a mastering engineer. He mastered Billie Eilish's stuff and way more things, but very, very established mastering engineer. Anyway, he did a shootout 10 years ago for, for the for A to D converters, so analog to digital converters. And he did a little uh, shootout and three kinds of songs, like one jazzy vocal thing, but very dynamic and deep basses sometimes. I was really impressed with that. There's a classical piece, which is very good for like the metals, I think. There's these metal metallic sounds where you can really, where I listen a lot to the converters and also the brass instruments. And there was some, which I didn't think sounded that good, some country uh, folk 
sounding thing, but it was mixed quite compressed. It was quite like, I didn't like the sound of that one that much. Maybe it was my shitty UA converters. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, he ran those three and they all came from analog tape, by the way. All three of them came from analog tape. And then, so it was original analog mo- masters and then digitizing them through these HD converters. Well, Mikael, what were your findings? Yeah. Which one did you, you ended up hating the UA? I think this episode will be too long if we go into depth about all of them. And uh, for, and also say, we will put the links to this download in the show notes because this is a free download. Mm-hmm. At least I think so. You sent it to me, so... <laughs> uh, it's it's. I needed to email the mastering engineer. I needed to email him, and he emailed me back and gave me the link. So <laughs> no, but it's it's uh, it's it's. I think it's uh, public uh, on the website, right? The the blog post is public, but you do need to email him to get yeah. the files. Oh, you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but okay, but then then it exists. It exists. Uh, uh, we will uh, provide you with what's needed. Uh, but uh, I, I kind of uh, listened through uh, before uh, some hours here ago and I just like picked my three different uh, ones I liked for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I think Vice yeah. sounded just way too good. Ah, interesting. I, I, I thought it was just like, oh, this is just, it was just in. I liked it. It was a very, I really liked how that sounded. Then the Prism was this middle ground. Yeah. Uh, I really have liked that before. And then Burl's was the most vibey that had it had uh, color. I might be um, wrong. There's no, no wrong or right on these things. But I do believe that UAD is uh, somewhat not as deep and detailed and a bit flat sounding comparing to especially Vice. It feels like there's... Uh, it's flatter. So Wise was for you really the the, the, the clean winner, the clean, pristine sound. No, uh, yeah, the clean. But I, I wouldn't uh, want it myself. Maybe mm, that's a good but, point. Uh, it, it was the most detailed, I think. Ah, oh, that's a good point. Uh, but I haven't read about any of these. Like, well, what's the most expensive? I don't know anything. I, I know Prism is very expensive. I will tell you, they were all very expensive. Yeah. I don't know about the Wise per se, but I know that the UA he, uh, he mentions is not one of the ones you can get now. So this is a legendary unit, the UA Universal Audio 8192. And this was designed by a person, a guy, who now, who after working at UA started Burl Audio. Ah. So he designed those UA uh, converters as well. Now, what I really listened to is, for example, in the orchestral thing, there was this triangle like the that was coming in the buildup and a very resonant sound. And it was crazy. Some of them turned that you didn't hear the hit anymore. It became a one long hash of a sound. And they are all thousands of dollars, these uh, units. So it's not like any one of them was bad. But some of them in that extreme high detail became more piercing and less defined than others. And for me, when it came to those detailed things, and also in the jazz vocal lo-fi, uh, lo-fi <laughs> the jazz uh, <laughs> vocal thing, the S's were really pronounced and really, oh, there was a lot of dynamics in it. For me, the winner was the MyTech. The MyTech had a um, speed to it that no other one had. Like I could hear those little and when I yeah. when you heard in that jazz thing those deep drum and drum and bass. When you heard those deep drum, bass drum and the bass things, there was like this boom. There was constantly this bloom. With the Mitex, it rang out quicker. So it was like, boom, it, in a good way. Like it didn't hmm. bloom. It didn't uh, hash. It is the only way I can say. So that Mitex felt incredibly fast and incredibly precise. I have to listen to that again. As I said, like I, I was, I didn't spend too much time on this, but it's a very ambitious... Uh, uh-huh. Shootout, I'd say. If anyone really wants to get into, you know, re- get into it, I think this mm-hmm. was a very good one. So to give a bit of an idea, I emailed with uh, him, with John Greenham, and he said that he ended up, I, I don't know if it was right after the shootout, but for a while he used the ones that were called DAD, DAD, <laughs> the Denmark Audio, <laughs> something like that. 
uh, those yeah. he used for a while, and now he's using the Lavery Gold. And the mm. Lavery Gold sounded very beautiful as well. I had to say, in some way, it was a bit softer on the top end. Uh, in the country thing, there was a tambourine strike, and that one sounded the most pleasing there. It was less precise, I feel. Maybe not less precise, but it was just a bit more held back in the high end, a bit softer while still being defined. But yeah, the Lavery Gold, that is a unit that is like $8,000 or something. So, And the Prism mm. is as well, that is also like 8000 and up uh, often, or like four or 5000 whatever. What uh, really I hear a difference, I, I can maybe, if I really pay attention, I can maybe hear those uh, triangle things. But what really is very obvious for me is singers and chest. Mm. It's something when... Uh, and you he- hear it maybe more in the male singers, I think. But like when you're standing next to someone who's singing and they're starting from head voice to chest voice, it is it is something I can't explain it. It's just something very very organic happening, mm. and uh, that was how I felt in UAD. That is almost not happening, mm. and in those like prisms and bursts of vice, it's just it feels like you can this uh, touchable quality. Mm. Every time there is, you know, a bit of an accent on the chest aspect of a singer, then uh, it, it feels real, almost like you're there. That's interesting. I will. I want to listen again and then listen to those things. Like I really listen to yeah. textures and like the top end and the bottom end and the transients and stuff. But I think that is an incredibly important quality. What you say, I have to say, with the burls and that um, jazz record. Uh, the burls, I have spoken about them before on the podcast that I, when I heard them, I really liked them generally. But now I changed my mind. I didn't like them. I thought they were a bit too colored for me. They were a bit too distorted and a bit too... However, when listening to the jazz thing, it was one of the few where all of a sudden it felt like the singer came out front a bit more. Like as if there was more like mm. depth. There you go. But it popped out a little bit but then again the artifacts that it brought with it like some more distortion and stuff that and a bit of boom, 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 i was less into that it was less quick those converters but yeah. I, I thought it was fascinating but it might yeah it might stack well but uh, just a thought before we leave the subject this all of these are called mastering grade converters, right? Generally, yeah. There's very rarely that someone has them in recording studios. Yeah, generally. The Burls people use, and like also the Apogee, that was the, he used the Apogee Rosetta. I think they don't sell, make that anymore, but it's like mm. a lot. And the Lavery's, yep, Lavery also makes mic pre's. So generally people don't use this in a recording thing because they are often two-channel expensive units. But... Not all of them. Some of them were like the 8192. Uh, I think that's a two-channel as well. But uh, the Apogee Rosetta was multiple-channel. The MyTech was a multiple, was an eight-channel thing. So it's just a cost thing. I understand. Like the you 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 need uh, in professional studios, you need a lot of um, channels and stuff like that. But I just wonder if there's any studios using you know like because the majority I record myself, for example, is one or two channels. But I have eight because i i, I want to have the the quickness of it but i wonder if there's any studios that just have you know they have their 32 channel very good and then they have their two channel extremely mm-hmm. good and then they you just use the two channels for for most of it and then when they need to record a drum kit they go to the other i wonder if that's a thing but uh, i can maybe google that i th- Think like I know that Burl, for example, has a real expandable system. So they have like a kind of like the API lunchbox stuff. They make like a chassis mm. in which you can put on eight-channel conversion things and also eight-channel preamps and stuff. So they they really want to market as like buy a lot of stuff of ours. But the Lavries, they are those Lavery Gold, for example. They are really like this is a mastering converter. Yeah. And John Greenham said something interesting about it in a different interview I uh, listened to. Uh, I stalk this man deeply, apparently. But uh, (laughs) in in an interview I came by, he was really like, there is a lot of equipment in the world that that can make your 
songs sound different. A lot of equalizers, a lot of analog stuff and compressors and converters, a lot of it can make it sound different. There's only a few things that can make things sound better. And really, yes, this is an improvement instead of, ah, it's different. Mm. And that is a big point, I think. And that is why he really he really lives for his analog to digital conversion. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Nerdy, nerdy, nerdy. Nerdy, nerdy, stuff. nerdy. So, yeah. Ner- nerdy, but important. Nerdy, but important. But it's it's fascinating. Yeah, but it, it's very different from, for example, what we talked last week about like lyrics. It's just oh. <laughs> so different worlds. But... The crazy thing is in today's uh, industry, if you're not a pop artist or like if you're not in the ecosystem of uh, like pop artists with the whole label and all of the different steps, if you're in the like indie producers, as I maybe would call us, you need to be interested in all this shit. Oh, maybe not converters per se. You can probably <laughs> have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, billboard hits without uh, even knowing the word converters. I, I There's not a doubt about that. But I, I think that cocktail of uh, interest is, is just uh, not uh, bad. Yeah, as you say, I think you don't need to know about all of this. It just happens to be, and I think that's also where we found each other a lot, that, we, that I find it surprising how much I can enjoy going into depth with these things. I said it in the email to uh, Mr. Greenham. I said, like, it's fascinating how uh, how much you can learn from listening to a little triangle passage a hundred times for 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> but it's yeah. that you can actually hear differences and that it's, yeah, I think it's fun, uh, most of all. And that is, I guess, also the beauty nowadays. In the past, you did need professionals working in studios in order to get a song recorded. But I think it's a testament to the quality and ease of use of modern equipment that billboard hits can be made without <laughs> without the need of professionals, as it were. Yeah, 100%. How are you? Thank you for asking. I'm doing good. I have moved out of my studio. The the wrap-up has been complete and I've been very productive. And I now have my little home desk set up and I'm very happy with it because I get to make more music, less traveling, and my work hasn't changed. Let me know if I'm correct or, or wrong because I see you now and I've been in your apartment. Are you in the hallway? I'm in the hallway. That it's is uh, epic. I love the fact that you're in the hallway because you can just like every time you come home or if you leave, you're just like, you know what, I have stuff to do. (laughs) I'm not going out anyway. I will just stay home. (laughs) That is how it goes. Like at the beginning of the day, I take out my keyboard from the kitchen. It is like in a cupboard in the kitchen and it's very much in the way there. So I take it out. Then I set it up next to my desk. My guitars are in the living room. Whoop. Put the rack here hook it up, and I'm good to go. 38 square meter living. But uh, how's your workflow since you moved out from the more uh, uh, like studio studio into your home studio? How's it? Fascinating. I, uh, as I texted to you, because I can't hold a solid opinion on anything for longer than a few weeks, I now have fallen in love with all the FabFilter plugins again, uh, or really trying them out and seeing... Okay, but how does it, how different does it sound when I use like Pro Q3 and Saturn and Pro C2 with all its cool settings? How does it sound if I make a song like that compared to doing all my vintagey sounding stuff like with the UA stuff? I really like using one manufacturer of plugins as much as possible to get like a feeling for, because every, I believe every manufacturer has a certain sound to it, has a certain, yeah, texture even yeah. between their products. So with the FabFilter stuff, I had a lot of fun because first of all, it's very quick. It is very, and it's so smooth and round is how I would describe it. Like very polished, very smooth, if you will. Yeah. And using 
practically only that stuff. Like, yeah, also my Master Bus, Saturn, Pro-C, and a little Pro-Q, and then the Pro-L, stuff like that. I got my music to sound a lot more like the other lo-fi stuff that I see on some of the playlists because I compress a bit differently. I did a bit more sidechain compressing because usually I don't do that. And now I did a bit more of that. So it's pumping a bit more. My whole way of working changed. Do you use uh, a C2? Yeah. The compressor? I use the C2 for everything when I use that stuff. And and I love the different compressor compressor styles it has because it really makes a big difference. So I love the the clean setting is fantastic. The pumping sec setting is amazing if you sidechain it. So I sidechain yeah, everything to the kick. There is some corruption going on here in the like uh, the Dutch. Uh, you're getting paid, right? <laughs> <laughs> Because you and the snake oil guy, he's also Dutch, isn't he? Yeah, he's also Dutch. Witze. Uh, he's also, uh, like, between the lines, he's just, like, doing uh, uh, Fat Filter Pro. Yeah, he, he, he has been saying that he wishes he was sponsored, <laughs> but he isn't sponsored by Fat Filter. It's the, this is uh, just a pure uh, uh, patriotism sponsor. I want every audio pro audio company to sponsor me so I don't have to buy my plugins. And I can just talk about it on a podcast where... Millions of people listen to it, and then I will say, "Yeah, I like <laughs> this." But yeah, so it's fun. It's really fun, and most of all, I I'm also finding a new way to work with the label I work with. We're now settling on a set amount of songs each month, and that is a quota I have to fill. And then I just can work, 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 work. So I make at least two songs a day now, uh, every work day. So that's fantastic. Two songs in a piece. Uh, in peace like calmly chill <laughs> or yeah <laughs> yeah it, it this is the minimum i have to hit two songs a work day but usually i make three sometimes four so there's also room for feedback and back and forth yeah. and stuff like that i always imagined you doing this um your lo-fi stuff uh it, it is such a strange thing that like that's uh, lo-fi is uh, often produced in high amounts because it's this genre where you should be very slow and like you should <laughs> just like it's very chilled. So doing it fast seems just strange. But I, I had this picture of when you are done with one uh, song and you put the um, a very speed down to like 88, you're like, yeah. go <laughs> yes uh usually the very speed goes down seven percent seven percent is a seven seven percent is a wonderful and i start my songs are never quicker than 73 bpm and then a little very speed down so my songs are slow i will um interrupt whatever you have in your mind now and play something that uh, is uh, fun um, because i have slowed down your beat to 25 percent using the new time stretching algorithm from Reaper. Oh, and shit. It is so much fun. Uh, it doesn't sound like music, but it sounds fun. Here it goes. <laughs> it becomes a reverb that's kind of it yeah but that's amazing yeah and why it sounds like a reverb then I was immediately thinking how can I use this creatively yeah exactly so then I put up um, like a vocal and um, I I put I, I kept the, the dry vocal and then I just took the essence of all of the vo like the um, vowels and time stretched them to 10% and then I used that uh, just under, uh, so I used it as a reverb. Cool. So, so here is uh, uh, Sara with just with that trick. I tried. We are not pushing forward. We are just now. 
that's smooth. Yeah, I, I will use this a lot. I, I just wish it was in Ableton because I don't produce music in Reaper. I just use it for other things and sometimes mixing. But uh, I will use it creatively a lot, I think. Here is just only wet. That's wild. I think it sounds cool. I am truly like, impressed. And and the last uh, part of the... Uh, I also stretched out the original quite a lot. We are just cool. It's such a smooth reverb sound. There was, I, I just tried it today. I <laughs> I saw it. There's a guy doing this Reaper blog tutorial. He he, Because Reaper updates itself, um, I don't know, like 10 times a month or something. Holy it's shit. just way too much. And then there's this guy on YouTube who uh, just goes through every single detail of the update very, very like that. And I usually fall asleep to that with my phone <laughs> until my phone hits my nose. Uh and yesterday I saw that function and I, I could barely keep my eyes open because I was so tired. But then when, when he started, like when he got to that part, I was like, no, 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 this, this, I need to focus. I need to focus. And then like I kind of fell asleep anyway. And then I did it this morning and I just tried these things. It's beautiful. So I, will, I will try this more. But I'm, everyone who uses Reaper, try, try that. It's fun. This is crazy. That it's. A, I remember a few years ago. I saw some post come by. If somebody slowed down the Windows XP log off tune by thirty thousand percent, and here's what it. And it sounds like in the haunting ambient masterpiece. <laughs> and I was like, what did they use? Because it sounded so smooth. And I think they used this algorithm or something similar because it really, really sounds like that. And it, you can create ambient textures with it. That's amazing. Yeah, so uh, that's stuff I've been doing. You've also been recording some Beast Beast? Yeah, uh, or not really. I just tried to make the impression of that on our Instagram. <laughs> it works. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I bought it. Uh. <laughs> I had a, actually I had a meeting about you know social media, other things you need to be interested in if you want to be an indie producer. But we have produced on on, um, uh, on distance, uh, me and uh, Gustav, and uh, just uh, tried a lot of new songs but I have done a very fun experiment I got an idea I get a lot of ideas when I'm very tired this is great and I was sitting with my dog in the sun I, and I was almost falling asleep and it was the same thing again like but I, sort of, I just waited for my other wife uh, <laughs> to get out of the store and then I just when I got this idea I just got excited like a kid and I was like we gotta we gotta go home I, I have an idea I have to do, do a thing a little box, uh, big as a microphone. And I have this um, miniature like guitar amp inside it. Mm -hmm. But I got this idea that I, I will put that in small threads and uh, make like a swing out of it. Uh, and then from the roof point two microphones that uh, is differently spaced. And I will make this swing, swing, actually swing. So the swing is a speaker. There's a speaker swinging. Yeah, the speaker is swinging. The, and the microphone is still. And what will happen, I hoped, is that uh, when you sum them to mono these two microphones, you will have a phaser. Did it work? It worked. <laughs> I can show you quickly Please. just uh, how it's... Uh, this is... Uh, on this is an or, or, organic homegrown phaser. Yeah, and I have to swing it myself. It's no, you know, it's hard work. <laughs> so, but I uh, this is on, it's not that uh, apparent on the guitar, but it's very, very clear on his voice. But uh, on the beginning here, it's on the lead guitar. is played through that speaker. But I will put uh, to his voice coming here. Yes. Also, the vocal itself sounds amazing. 
but I love it. There's some soft movement going on and it just sounds a bit positively weird. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. The vocal sounds really nice. But yeah, that was a phaser. <laughs> Speaking um. of other things, <laughs> I loved it. The vocal sounded really nice. Well, it made me happy. You know, mm-hmm. I it made just makes me calm that I know that this is uh, something that will. You did it. Yeah, but you know, it's it's the opposite of this feeling that uh, when I programmed organic drums when you know like i know that there's no drummer this is the opposite of that but there's also like levels of this i just have to mention i i watched that uh, sean everett uh, mm-hmm. i sent you some clips uh, mixed with the masters and uh, he's all about this stuff like uh, doing going the extra mile mm-hmm. but the extra miles that that guy is going i there was something else. There was uh, I respect him so much. He works with the one of my favorite, you know, war on drugs and stuff. But that was insane. I don't know if you watched it, but he uh, put up one of war on drugs songs and said like, "We're gonna recreate something here now." I I don't know if I finished it, but and then he just like copied in some random orchestral music that he never have heard uh, and just cut it without listening to it. He just cut it while looking at the waveforms, just like putting it all over the place. And then he played the song and then he started to put mel- uh, Melodyne through the whole track. So he was tuning what's happened in the orchestral to that War on Drugs song that he, he had mixed. And when he had done it for a while, he just said, okay, let's take this orchestral thing away and, uh, and rebuild it ourselves. And he didn't, you know, hire orchestral mu- musicians or anything. No, he went and took an old trash can and was like was scrubbing a cymbal while on this uh, trash can while miking it up with the contact mic and another microphone and some other things. And then he went in back and like, okay, this is our source material now and put it in to a tape machine and smashed it so there were no recognition left. It was just basically noise. And then he started tuning that noise. (laughs) And this goes on and on and on. And I was, my head was exploding. (laughs) There was so far from that 20 step how to make a song that he gets and uh, I, I I don't know I mean there's something to take away from it but it was just I was just left in shock what is your takeaway? my, my takeaway is that uh, I never need to feel crazy again because there's, <laughs> there's Sean Everett <laughs> sometimes sometimes I, I get to hear like why are you not just putting up a preset why are you not just uh, you know why are you all because some but they ask why you're doing it the hard way and i get a lot of enjoyment of doing it some extra mile i like to you know it makes the process after the hard work faster it does actually uh, yeah I, I i i'm in the middle on it i really yeah. really uh enjoy it when like for the lo-fi tracks i pick up the microphone and i do some hand percussion and i do small things it's an absolute must for me to play the guitar, bass, and keys live, the instruments that I have. It's a must to play it live. Mm. It adds so much more dynamic and so much more life to it. Even though my keyboard, yeah, it's a Nord, it's sample-based. But by playing it and recording it, not as MIDI, but just recording straight audio, it adds so much to how I enjoy making the music. Uh, mm. But on the other hand, I sometimes also feel like, okay, but it's got to serve a purpose, these things. It's got to serve a purpose to go this extra mile. I don't I, I don't like messing around for the sake of messing around. Okay, sometimes. But I also really want to like, all right. I also like it when stuff gets done and you really move forward nicely. There, mm. he, he, Yeah, there's a nice mix. There's a nice mix of it. Mm. And I think that that this uh, Sean. I mean, I have been watching another video of him when he like goes through another. That that, that was just way more. You know, I, I think he has that in him as well. It just felt like this particular video. <laughs> he just wanted to show how how deep he goes, and there was there were it was interesting. 
And because also what you say, it makes the rest of the process easier. If you've put a lot of time in a few elements of a song, the song will quite naturally come together and feel rich and done, I think, because you have this, yeah, you, I don't know, if you consciously put time in things, no matter what it is, it will end up paying off. Yeah. So speaking of that, are you still using your 20 step? Or have you? Um, I don't rig- religiously follow it anymore. Actually, I because oh. I've been g- going around a bit and like using some different plugins, and I realized, okay, I think the core of it remains the same, uh, but it's in your spine now. It's in my spine now. I don't need to. It's internalized. I don't need to look at it anymore. Well, in that twenty-step plan, I also go over specific plugins, and that I took away. I don't like that anymore. I just want to. What matters is getting to the end result and doing what feels good in the moment. And one day that is using super clean fab filter stuff. The other day that is using UAD stuff. And then this day I want to do this and then that. And that freedom really allows me to think in the way of, okay, but this needs to be EQ'd. Don't be a little whiny poop about it, about how you're going to EQ this or what. Just do it and get it done. And that is really, uh, yeah, I really like that. So my 20-step plan, step 20 is still there. That's still important. Be happy. That's the most important one. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I not religiously, but it may, it may come back again because my output has been less consistent in sound now, which is a good thing because it's some uh-huh. new sounds, some different sounds, but it's not the whole batch of 15 songs I've made over the last week. There, the one is a bit louder, the other one is a bit uh, deeper, and so on and so on. So it might take a bit more effort over the coming feedback rounds to get it all in one uh, smooth place. But we'll see. So it's it's interesting. But does it uh, need to be in the same space? Depends on the client. And in this case, the client sometimes very much likes it when it's all in one, uh, when it all fits together nicely. Yeah. Because they like releasing it as albums as well. So they really... But then I fight for, ah, it's good to have some differences. And it's good to uh, take it a bit. So in the end, that's finding the middle ground. Mm. And it's, it's what keep me, it keeps me sane to do things differently now and then. But yeah, the core very much remains the same. Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to ask that because I remember back in the days when I was just like starting to record... And like uh, we even went to like the music uh, school and stuff. Everybody was saying that like if you're in a band, you have to go and record and uh, have all of the drum. You, you need to go and rec- in, a st- in a studio at least to do all of the drums in the same studio and hopefully even everything. So you get that, uh, you know, the sound uh, coherent. Mm-hmm. I was always skeptic about it and I still am. I do believe that that coherence comes from the creators inevitably. I think so too. But of course, there's some sonic, purely audio qualities that doesn't have to do with writing or, or your producing style maybe also. But but it depends on what you're going for with that. Because I, I, if you want indeed like one album that feels like a bit in between that like, oh, it might be, it feels, if you have a very live album, then sure, it's nice. But yeah, if you take stuff like what you just described with the War on Drugs and Sean Everett and stuff like that, if you have a lot of experimental sounds, then no two songs are going to sound similar anyway. So it's like, and then the no. similarities indeed come from that create creative core, not from some superficial idea of the drums being mic'd the same way. Do I see? What do you see? It looked like I see a gold record on the, or uh, in the living room to the. Oh wow, that would be amazing! I am I'm sorry <laughs> to say to myself that it's not a gold record. It is actually a poster of an exhibition by Hilma af Klint. Aha! Uh-huh. It kind of looks like the Logic logo from here. The platinum Hil. It would be a rainbow record. Hilma Klint. Hilma of Klint. It's a Swedish uh, painter, and she made abstract and uh, very spiritual art in the early 1900s. Huh. And her work wasn't 
she she hid her work away because she said the world isn't ready for this. And then I think like a few decades ago, it was found and nobody knew about this. And you said, I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, Sana, uh, my girlfriend, is an art historian. So that is why we obviously, why I know about any of this. But uh, uh. That's cool. It's very cool. It's a very cool story. I can recommend looking up Hilma of Klint. That's really cool. Do you get inspired by art like from like, that stuff when you create? I think it's fantastically inspiring to go to a nice exhibition or a nice, uh, yeah, whatever, or even watching a movie or anything. As long as it's nice and artistically made and well-made, then it can be incredibly inspiring, I think. Yeah. Then I always leave with this feeling. Like, I remember we went to that exhibition at uh, Miles Gord in Stockholm, and there was her art, and it was the art of a woman named Tira Klien, and... Oh, she made some super cool things as well. And this was all from like 100 years ago. Hmm. And always seeing that and really being in a space, especially when it's dedicated to one artist or a few artists. I don't know. You learn a bit about their life. You learn a bit about their creations. Then I get excited to create. And I... Yeah. Yeah. Especially if the art also looks beautiful. And I get excited like... Mainly, I always think, Bauke, it all doesn't have to be so hard. Just create, just make, and put effort and uh, time in some things. Uh, that's what I feel. How about you? I watched a movie the other week, a movie which I have watched before. Uh, I just knew that I liked it. But do you have this thing, like you watch or you experience art, you have a memory of it, and then you go back to it, and you just, you already, before you put it on, you know that you will like it, but you also know that you will probably find new things this time because you're older. It was like maybe eight eight years ago, the last time you experienced that thing. And I have that thing with uh, David Lynch. Mm. And uh, his this particular movie is called uh, Wild at Heart. Mm -hmm. Have you seen it? I have not seen Wild at Heart. I, I recommend it. It's from 1990. It's with Nicolas Cage and... Is she called Laura Dean? Laura. Yeah, Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Yeah, Laura Dern. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it is just something else. And like, after I watched this, I, I just went into so much interviews with David Lynch. He, he has such a specific kind of brain. And there's one thing I think that this goes through all of his work. And that is that he hasn't said it himself. So I don't know if it's true. It, it might be in my head. When I watch a very conventional movie or a very conventional piece of music or anything like that, I am a little bit uh, focused to understand, like, to make sure that I get all of the points to, so I can follow the movie. But with David Lynch uh, movies, I have understood that there is parts that doesn't have to do with anything. That is put there for no reason. And that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I can... Uh, it makes me inspired. It also might be only in my head. It, it, it's maybe super important to him. But f uh, there, for me, it is this... I, I would call it like stop making sense, which is my life motto. I recognize a lot of that when it comes to going to museums. Because, yeah, when I got into a relationship with Sana, she was in the middle of her art history studies. So an experienced museum goer and also knew a lot about the stuff that was hanging. But most of all, she showed me that, because like when you go to a modern art museum or a contemporary art museum, you're like, where do I look? What am I gonna do? How am I gonna act and behave? Oh, do I need to yeah. get the meaning of this abstract piece of art or this impressionist thing or whatever? And no, you don't. Just go through it and sometimes something will make you laugh and sometimes something will just look beautiful and sometimes you won't feel anything at all. So please walk on. And yeah, I really learned that from Sana. Just like, just enjoy it for what it is unless you go there for a specific reason or whatever and you really want to understand it. But just let your eyes guide you and just take it in. Yeah, it's so interesting. A lot of people can be afraid of art and like almost, you know, that it is uh, pretentious or like mm -hmm. something like that. But I would I would say that the, the most pretentious part of art is those who go to watch art with like, I will understand it. Yes. Uh, idea. I agree. But I have a very um, uh, example of that too. Like we watched, I, I think it's a, a Danish artist with uh, who does... Uh, 
exhibitions, uh, like in the installations and stuff like that. And he came up with this light uh, that take away all of the color. Mm. So if you're in a in a room without any windows, if you put uh, on this, everything goes this almost black and white. It's yellowish, but it's black and white. Is it a Olafur Olafur Eliasson? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he had I watched an interview with him. We 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 checked this stuff in uh, in uh, Tate Art. Uh, the the Tate, yeah. Tate Tate Art Museum. Yeah, and we we checked this. It was fantastic that room, and that's the thing. Like uh, in in an interview, he said like together with uh, with a person first time he was setting up this the first time. The friend, I don't know what person what what it was if there was someone from the museum or whatever, but the the other person said, "But you got to do something with this room. You got to like." you know guide the visitors mm-hmm. uh, you gotta because if you walk in there's nothing to look at you gotta at least put a red rose in the middle of the room and then he said no then the exhibition is about a red rose yeah that's yeah. such a good point yeah because when you walk into this room you go around and look at each other you go around and look at everyone else and see everyone else without color. It's fascinating and it's such a good point. Just let things be and yeah, you don't need to understand because it's striking enough as it is and trust that whatever you do is just if you enjoyed making it. It's like what we talked about with the writing, just trusting even though it might not look like it makes sense. You know, when sometimes I am really allergic to this whole genius thing when people are like, oh, that person is really a genius and their art, it's it's perfect, it's genius. Look at these intricate meanings in between everything. And it's like, I will tell you, I will just say nine times out of 10, the artist never envisioned any of that. The artist just makes and then people hang up whatever meaning they want to it. And that is the beauty of it. But, yeah. And that is why I believe in just let things be. If it feels good, if it sounds good, go with it and yeah just yeah. just let it be so i really agree i think that's uh we we always end up landing on the more philosophical subjects Mikael. yeah i go from uh, converters to art and uh, to um which is actually beautiful uh, yeah but there was uh, everything from your uh, gold um, record i don't know what I, I think i'm more happier i i, I think you deserve a lot of those uh, gold uh, records as well but uh, this is this is maybe more important maybe it's a it's a it's an important symbol Every, everything that is not a clean wall I, I had my first ever panic attack in a room without uh, anything oh there you go i think it's very cl- classic <laughs> yeah i was like a work meeting uh i just like uh, she started talking with me about like whatever if i want more hours or whatever and then just look around just seeing white walls and uh yeah you need stuff around you. You need clutter. You need a little bit of clutter to uh, to hang up stuff on. I love that. Same with uh, it's say now. Let's bring it back to audio. You need a bit of color. You need a bit of dirt. You need yeah. a bit of life and character. Otherwise, all of this is <laughs> this is audio, by the way. <laughs> all of this yeah. audio. But yeah. now we wrap it back around. You need some clutter in your life. You need some clutter in your yeah, but audio. It's true. You can't cannot have it perfect. And I really enjoy. With recording, I, I mentioned this before, but spending a lot of time to get my performance right on uh, playing a melody line on the guitar. So I will practice it and I'll really do my best to play it as beautiful as I can because then I don't need to touch it. And because if I if I need to fix something and I need to declutter one thing, it's very easy to think, oh, but now i got to declutter this as well. i got to do that. So mm. it's easier for me to... S- yeah, trust the, the, the delivery. It's so nice to do, yeah. Yeah. And then, because then, yeah, then I might, then there will always be some noise or whatever. And it's like, ah, leave it. It's fine. Because the performance itself is good. So we can move on from everything. Yeah. I, I have, like we both add a lot of noise to our music I know but the I have this weird exactly this like the opposite of a panic attack vibes <laughs> is uh, we have talked about the, the delays and like analog delays a lot you know the bucket brigade mm-hmm. delays and I have um, used it on vocals a lot of time and then I sit and I make it oscillate and I make this drones out of a little uh, like and like some 
delay nice. answer on the voice or something. And sometimes I let that shit like repeat for almost the whole song. Yeah. It's just under there. And sometimes when in the mixing process, I'm like, I start to hear it. It's often quite low, but and then I'm like, oh shit, I, I forgot to take this away. And I used to take it away. And then I'm like, why does it feel so sterile now? Mm-hmm. So then I just put it back. And, and on, on a lot of songs I finished, there's just these drones in the background, probably way out of uh, uh, like pitch and stuff. And it just makes me calm. Yeah, but I get that. I don't know. Because it's that was also a performance, or it was part of the creation of the artwork. And it's, yeah, I I think it's also one of the beautiful things about audio I think in images and in painting, it's a lot more direct. You can, like with a movie, you can pause the frame and you can see everything that's going on. So we we are so good at seeing things. But audio, you can't, yeah, you can pause audio, but then it stops. It is, it is, <laughs> it, it, it is. I'm always like, I have to write this down. <laughs> yeah, you can pause audio, yeah, yeah. but then it stops. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't take a snapshot of a sound you can't take. no that's true and i think that is fascinating so by nature it is movement audio is yeah. sound waves that, that or like it's air pressure that we pick up with our ears yeah. so it cannot exist as a static thing which makes it fluid and fluent by nature and i think that is one of the most beautiful thing about audio that it yeah you can't pause audio <laughs> i never thought of it like that but it's so true you, that you can't do that and that is the some people have it some not i am struggling with it but that's the that's the exact reason why when you're like like very far in the process of like finish a song or something you can't listen to individual elements anymore mm. because there's no use of it. And I had a friend like in the, when I was studying at SRE in Stockholm, uh, he just said like every time, like every little movement he's, he was doing, he went from start to beginning. That That is... That is really, really... That's dedication. Yeah, that's dedication. And I was like, I almost never have ever done that. So I started then to like, okay, uh, stop for a second and just listen through. And not listen through and stop and messing around. Listen through and write notes. All right, let's go deeper into that. Yeah. Well, how, how do you work? Do you indeed, like when you're mixing and when you're creating, you make a change and then you just listen. And if you hear anything, you make a note, but you don't stop and play a lot. Now, I try to not stop and play a lot. A lot. I... I uh, the core ideas often comes from very much uh, jamming, mm-hmm. and then uh, I, my my first bounces, I know that that is like something I always have to say to people I work with, and t- that takes them a while to understand. But when I export the first things, I am really really careful about not like uh, cleaning mm-hmm. in early into process. So I know that. I will listen to a mess, but I go around and listen to the, those two milliseconds that I will save. And everyone who starts to work in the beginning, they wouldn't work with me. They're like, what the fuck have you sent me? I'm like, yeah, yeah, hang on, <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, hang on. And, and you know, there. And then the like one month later, then we have something, and there is most often a, a small part of those. Uh, so I could just go out for walks with my dog and just like listen to this mess and listen for those moments. And those moments, I know they come from improvisation or from uh, just jamming. And uh, that also makes me very confident later that this is something to finish. But that is beautiful. I also then clean super much away. Oh, that's beautiful. But I like it, that. And it needs to be messy in the beginning. I remember that we have only had one jam together, believe it or not. We've every time we'd end up talking instead about plugins so and hardware but uh yeah the the day we met we did a little jam and then you also just sent me like yeah it was we had made all these little jam pieces and then you just ableton play it next part next part next part and then yeah. you indeed have some moments that wow they're really magical and they really pop out and they're like ah, that you can make a song out of i guess 
Mm. So I. Yeah, but uh, do you work with that kind of chaos uh, system? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I I do know that working with other people, I really needed to get used. I needed to get used to working with other people. I uh, can very much see the end result, even though the end result is not at all what is coming out of the speakers yet. I very much have an idea of like, ah, but this is what it's supposed to sound like. And like, I know where this is going. I, I know what I'm trying to achieve here. And I very much learned by working with other people in the beginning that was like, but wait a minute, that is not what they are hearing from the speakers right now. This magnificent mm. idea that I have. And that, so I really learned to, yeah, know when it's time to chase that and know when it's time to take a step back and say, okay, this and that. And to get better at getting close to the intended result from the start. I really believe in that very strong. Like, Yeah, but especially if, if there's more people in the room, because then you want everyone to be equally excited about it. Yeah, It's hard to be excited about each other's ideas that are not out yet sometimes, Yeah, I believe. And I have had a, a struggle with the same thing. Like when I, when I worked... For example, the, one of our songs in the in, in the band, the, I just could see that this, there was something in Gustav, uh, who's my who I collaborate with. There, he, he, I could see that there's an unease mm-hmm. in him. Like I, I don't, and because of we're both musicians, but it wasn't un, not until he's like, but let me just uh, try the bass, and like he's plays the bass, and I'm like, okay, I never heard that in my head ever. No, but uh, and it took me a couple of minutes, and I got used to it, and I said, that's better. Let's go with that. But just I just imagine that situation when I'm working with a singer who's not a mus- like a musician. That's very hard mm-hmm. if you don't understand each other like that. Yeah, exactly. So, so th- and for that reason, I believe that it's important to just have something out there that both are excited about yeah. and not this like, I will fix it later kind of. A- yeah, but exactly. And I very much don't like having temporary things with the idea, but it's just for now, it's just for the recording, we will replace this. But that does bring a big, big if point. Okay, but if you're going to go for getting as close as possible right away, you do need to prioritize, right, when you work with other people. Then you cannot spend five hours on EQing the kick drum while the first line of music hasn't even been recorded yet. That is like, okay, then don't put a kick drum down yet. Just work on other stuff then or, yeah, stuff like that. But So prioritizing is very important. Uh, And checking in. Checking in. The band, uh, I mean, we work in the different cities now from distance and uh, I try to not do too much on my own because then it you, you need to set the, like if you're collaborating, you need to set the vision. Mm. Uh, I, because I, I just like for fun started to messing around with the song. And then uh, the same thing happened. Let's go, this is unease feeling here. Yeah. And then uh, like he showed me the, ly- the lyrics. I was like, and and did an, another bounce with the lyrics on. I'm like, this, I understand. I, I just made it into like a super happy song, and this is mm-hmm. shouldn't be that. And then you know you need to land. Yeah, but that's I think that's the fun part with co- collabs. I think so too. Yeah, we should. Uh, and it's a, it's a for me it was really a challenge in the beginning to be open to other people's ideas. I will admit that I really had a hard time with it because I was very. Eigenwijs, as we say in Dutch, I was very, uh, ah, my idea is best. And there we go. Yeah, but I have strong opinions about this because that is not a bad thing. Because what you're doing at that point is scrubbing your idea against the other idea. It always sounds sexual when we talk about this shit. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I mean, as uh, pretentious as it sounds, like the, like a, Swedish uh, famous uh, the Mando Diao singer actually who got kicked um, he, he said uh, that when he got kicked that okay there is no Mando Diao anymore because the whole Mando Diao was that these two stones you know like forming a new stone mm-hmm. and it is it should be hard it shouldn't be like okay this is your idea it, it's pro- and then just listen I think ideas should be fought for it's a good point and it should be okay you need to let that frustration maybe out of your idea before you can accept the other idea. I think that's, a, yeah, so yeah, follow through on your ideas. I, I really think that's a good point. I uh, The flip side of that, what I had to work on was just like, okay, I had done my idea and then somebody else would say, I think it would work better like this. Mm. 
I still have a hard time with it. And I work with feedback. I've made 800 songs and every one of them has been feedbacked. I hate it. But were you in the same room? Yes, in the beginning always. Not with the feedback nowadays, but back then, yeah. And then I would hate it even more. Then the, the, the inside of me goes, ah, what do you know? You're just stupid. You don't know anything. And I've learned to just try it, just go for it and don't judge it yet. But I just hate going into my work and changing things. I It's so funny with the feedback. It can be the most light feedback that I get. And then I have to go through my batch. There's just this resentment that builds up in me. And I just, I, I don't. It's not that it went away. It's just that I have learned that I shouldn't, that I should just like not listen to it too much. Mm. At the same time, the flip side is that I have learned to more stand up for my own ideas as well, to find that balance where indeed that feeling is right of like, it's not necessary. There's no point. It sounds like the way I intended it to. And it sounds good like that. But with feedback, it comes to I'm working with a client. They are paying me to do it. So there's a balance there. They're hiring me for my vision, but they also want an end product. So that fits into their mm. vision. So before my own stuff, that is why I released that Demo Bounces album. I was like, you know what? It, this is what I back then had in mind and this is the best I could do then. And maybe it was unmixed, unmastered, but I fell in love with these songs as they are. So why not just let them mm. go? And it was, uh, yeah. Have we have we pitched that for our 100 Two million thousand listeners. First, we need to say what it is to our million listeners. So what we're talking about, I don't know if we discussed this, but I released uh, two months ago a little album called Demo Bounces 2020-2021. And that is the folder of a, that's the name of a Dropbox folder on my computer. When always I have a session with myself, I make a little jam. I I need one place to collect all my bounces always and my ideas. So I just put it in this folder called Demo Bounces. And there was like a handful of tracks from those demos that I, most of the ones that I seriously made, I was really like, I love these. And some were very finished, some were barely finished, but none of them were released. So I was like, you know what? It is, it will do, I honor my creativity and the excitement that I felt while making them the most by letting these see the light of day. They might not receive a lot of light because it's just me, solo release, and I'm, I wasn't in a mood to do marketing or anything, but it's just having it out there meant so much to me because uh, that put the end to it instead of this constant question of like, are you going to finish it? Are you going to do something with it? It's done. It's out there. And I released it exactly as I found them on my hard drive. So... Uh, healing version two and body master mastered on 29th of March, blah, 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 whatever. It's like these titles that they're, it's not slick. It is not done. It is not finished, but I really respected my creativity by doing that. Isn't it someone called Hendrix more high or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. One is called it's it, this, this is super funny of how that worked out because you know, one <laughs> is called, um, Funk One. Wait, let's see. I can open the album here real quick. It is called Funk One slash Jimmy version three, less high. And oh, less high. And it's funny okay. because it was just a mixed tweak. Because, okay, this song, it's a lo fi beat with a bit of guitar and it, it's funky. So it was called Funk One slash Jimmy because I sampled an interview with Jimi Hendrix where he's like, oh, I'm break down. And he's like snoring and stuff. And that was a lot of fun. But then I did a mixed week uh, and I put less highs in it. And so then I oh, I wrote down the tweak, less high. But in the context of Hendrix Jimmy, sobered up. Yeah, in the context of Jimi <laughs> Hendrix, it turned out very funny. So yeah, the, oh. I'm very proud of that little release and letting it go as it is. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's cool. I uh, honestly am very uh, like inspired by, by that stuff. And it's also really good songs oh that makes me like me too. and my wife uh i'm exercising every day to be <laughs> like not all like uh, shocked when i say like wife whoa, whoo, whoo. it's my wife she exists yeah the first couple of days i was f- f- because i can't say girlfriend anymore like I, I will cut this away but it's, it's just strange you're not going to cut this this needs to stay in yeah okay T- total total transparent uh my wife and me were going in the car and we listened to the full album and it's a really nice car uh, album i would say that's amazing it's a lot of songs 30 minutes and 11 seconds wow there you go 
it makes me ha- happy to hear. I really like it when people listen to it and when, obviously, but just like, oh, that is why I'm so happy it's out there. People can listen to it. I can show friends and family like, ah, oh, this is what I've been up to a bit. And there you go. And we will put the link in the show notes. Yay. Well, uh, thank you listeners for listening. Uh, I hope you get something out of listening us going on about converters, art, philosophy, and converters and audio again. I sure enjoyed it. As always, I don't know if this... What what was the email address, Mikael? Oraladventurespodcast uh, at gmail.com Oraladventurespodcast at gmail.com Anyone feel free to send us a little message. Of course. Yeah, send us send a message. Do you have any closing uh, thoughts? <laughs> when you said that, I was just thinking about uh, so fun on the Pensado's place uh, when uh, his manager always saying, deep it, take it home. And he just, <laughs> <laughs> he's just always going into these super philosophical things. <laughs> so maybe I, maybe in, in honor of him, uh, I will say, if you don't know what you're doing, just do it faster. Bye! Bye!